Hey, Brian here with the weekly Mid-City Vineyard teaching podcast. Mid-City Vineyard is located in the heart of New Orleans. We worship on Saturday nights at 6 o'clock. And if you want to learn a little bit more about us, check us out online, midcityvineyard.org. Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard. And on Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard. Over the last number of weeks, we've been in a series entitled Breathing Underwater, looking at spirituality and the 12 steps as we kind of investigate what it looks like to grow deeper roots spiritually and maturing in our spirituality and how that lines up with some of the steps from Alcoholics Anonymous in the 12 steps. So this week we were looking at steps 6 and 7. We were also looking in the scripture at John chapter 5 where Jesus asked the man that was sitting at the pool do you want to be healed? What an interesting question. And so we're going to press into that as we look at what it means to potentially be entirely ready for God to remove our shortcomings. So hope you enjoy. Let's head on over to the podcast. Much peace to you. So I am, I don't know about you guys. Newman sent me, is it, where, where's Newman? <laughs> oh, there he is. <laughs> Newman, Newman sent me a text earlier today because he's teaching again based in, uh, in this series in about two weeks, I think. And uh, his text said, man, he, had, he sent me a stack of books. And he's like, I hope other people are getting as much out of this series as I'm getting. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I hope people are getting as much out of it. He was saying that of himself. And I was saying, as I'm getting personally. And, and I don't know if you are or not, but... Maybe tonight would be the start of that because I just, I feel like, I, I, I honestly feel like we're really hitting on something right here that is, is of the utmost importance for us um, as, as a community, as a church, um, as those who are really seeking to, to, to have our roots our, our, go deeper and our, as our spirituality, as we're maturing. And, and so tonight we're going to keep this series going where we've... Um, been talking about what it what it's like to or or how does one navigate and begin to learn how to to breathe underwater and so tonight the passage that we're going to use is John chapter 5 uh, verses 1 through 9 so let me let me read this to you and then we'll we'll look at it a little bit deeper so sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And so when Jesus saw him laying there, And learned that he had been in this condition for a really long time. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the man replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. So in this particular story, uh, and this is really, uh, if you ever get a chance to travel to the Holy Land, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel and 
go to Jerusalem, you can actually see where they believe the Pool of Bethesda uh, was. It's, it's just this, it, it actually, uh, the, the Greeks created this pool and it has ties to other uh, Greek gods. And the, the myth behind it was, is that this pool, when the waters would, would bubble up, and uh, in some of the myths, it would be an angel that would stir the waters or, or would, there was something that would cause the waters of the pool to bubble up. And the, the story went that when the waters would bubble up, those who were around the pool, if they could make their way into the waters, they could be healed. And this man, now he's been an invalid for 38 years, so there's a very good chance he has been sitting at this pool begging and trying to get in the water for years on end. And Jesus walks up to him. Think about this. He's been sitting here potentially for years. And Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? So tonight, as we continue this series, looking at the spirituality uh, spirituality and the 12 steps, we're reminded of a couple things. So let's do a, a very quick review. Uh, as we're reminded a few weeks ago, we discussed the importance in our own spiritual journey of examining our own lives. Step number four, we talked about the idea of, of making a, a searching and fearless moral inventory of our lives. Now, some of you did it, and some of you did not. I know that. And I encourage you, there's still time to go back and do that. But it's the kind of inventory where we, where we basically just kind of assess the situation. What are my thoughts like these days? How am I treating others these days? How, how am I in the area of pride and ego these days? How much control do I still desire to maintain these days? What things seem to have their claws in me where they seem like addictive patterns these days? What, 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 what's going on? This is part of the searching uh, and the fearless inventory. How's our character these days? And the idea there is that we would do that. We would make note. We would think through. We would process in line with the Holy Spirit. And then, step five, that we would take it a step further, that we would actually confess those things. That we would confess those character flaws, those defects, those, those addictive tendencies, whatever it might be, that we would confess them to God, that we would confess them to ourselves, that we would admit them to ourselves, and that we would admit them to one other person. And if we thought that was the hard work, which it was at the time, then we get to this next phase of the spiritual journey. In Alcoholics Anonymous, step six and step seven, uh, they're called steps. I would say in Christianity, these are just, it's, it's, another, it's another part of the journey. It's another phase, so to speak. And this one consists of and demands honest humility from the participant. And this is a critical step. If you and I actually want to see the roots go deeper, if we want to grow in spiritual maturity, if we want to grow up before we grow old, this, like all the steps before, 
like all the phases of the journey before, this is a critical phase. Because in this phase, it really comes down to determining whether or not we are really desiring for God to interject, to intervene, to be a part of this process. Deciding if we really want to ask God to do something. And this is an interesting part of the journey. It's incredibly simple, and yet at the same time, it is ridiculously complex. It's incredibly rewarding, and at the same time, it is devastatingly costly. Because in this phase of the journey, what we do is we fully admit these defects, we fully admit these flaws, we admit them, and then we have to step back and do nothing on the one hand and everything on the other hand. What do I mean by that? Well, until you and I are ready to actually ask God to do the job, then we're, we're not ready to change. We're not ready to be changed. So how, how might that work? Well, in order to be filled with something new and something beautiful and something rewarding, we have to be emptied of something else. If you think of it, like a, if I had a, a glass right here, a glass that was filled to the top of water, and maybe I had a pitcher in this hand, and the good stuff is in the pitcher. The good stuff, the kindness and the mercy and the freedom, it's in the pitcher. I'm the cup, but the cup is filled to the brim. And I'm, I'm saying, okay, God, I want you to, to put the good stuff in me. I, I want the good stuff. And so God goes for it, but what happens, it, 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 this is already full. This is already full of all the other stuff. And so what has to happen in order for God to come and be able to actually put more of the good stuff in, uh, there's got to be a willingness to get rid of something else. Get rid of what might be mediocre for something that's better. Or get rid of something that is not good at all, but that I hold on dearly to. Right? Pour out a little bit so that I can be filled up with something more beautiful, something more rewarding. There's this part of giving up control, so to speak, where we get this, this new gift from God. One, uh, one author says it like this, says the waiting, the preparing of the mind, the softening of the heart, the deepening of expectation and desire, the readiness to really let go, the recognition that I really do not want to let go, the actual willingness to change is the work of days and weeks and months and years, it's the work of fear and trembling. But it is the work that must be done if we're going to put deeper roots. Think of, think of Mary. When, when Mary was a virgin and, and, and the angel came before her, what were Mary's words? Let it be done to me according to your will, O Lord. Think of Jesus at the end of his life as he's in the garden and he's saying, I don't want to go to the cross, but what does Jesus say? But let it be done to me according to your will, O Lord. There was a place in, in these individuals' lives where they were entirely ready to allow God 
to work in their lives. And there is some level of responsibility here that we have. It's kind of like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? The answer is yes. You know, what comes first? Our willingness for, for God to change us or God changing us? Yes. That's the really weird thing and fun thing and beautiful thing about the Christian faith is that there's nothing that actually happens in your life apart from the grace of God. Like, you can't even manufacture in your life the ability to be ready to allow God to do something in your life. So what we do is we ask God for the grace to be ready to allow God to do something in our life, and then we cooperate with the grace, because the thing about God is that God gives the grace. See, step six in Alcoholics Anonymous says, we are entirely ready to have God remove all of the defects of our character. Step seven says, we now humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. Let's think about that for a minute, and then we tie these two steps together, these two phases of the journey. Why do we need to ask God for anything? I mean, does God not know already what we want? Does God not already know what we need? The answer is absolutely God does. But here's the thing about prayer. We don't pray to change God. We pray and we allow our prayer to change us. Now I actually believe that in many ways there are, are times, and we'll get in, I'm, I'm really thinking that we will probably go back and and. and talk about prayer for a couple of weeks when we're done with this. Because I do think that there are times, and there seems to be evidence even in the scripture, when people would pray and God would change God's mind. But ultimately, our prayer is a practice. It's an exercise in faith that has major ramifications and changes on our own souls and our own hearts. Because when we pray, we begin, we move in the journey of forming a relationship. We, ultimately, our prayer is about moving towards God, not getting things done. And so we humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. And then we allow God to actually remove those faults those things. Now this might seem reminiscent of one of our earlier steps where we talked about the fact that the bottom line is, in many cases, we need to be healed. We need to be healed of certain things. I've actually seen this happen in, in, a, uh, in AA. Actually, when I was a kid, um, our next door neighbor, when I, so I was, I was probably 10, 11, 12 years old, our next door neighbor of the home I grew up in was an alcoholic. And one day, um, after years, we'd probably lived next door to this man for 15, 16, 17 years. And he had hit a place in his life where he just couldn't do it anymore. And it was obviously the bottom of the bottom because he called my dad, who he knew was a Christian man, and he said, I don't know what to do. I need help. Would you please come over to my house? And so my dad goes next door to this guy's house. 
I don't know, in the 18 years of living next door to him, if they had ever spoken of Christ or, or, or faith or church or anything like that. But this man knew that my dad was a man of faith. And he said, here's my problem. And I think it's going to kill me. And I don't want it anymore. Would you pray for me? And so my dad prayed for this man. And in that moment, the taste and the desire and the need for alcohol left that man. He never had another drink. <laughs> this is a mind-blowing story, in my opinion. Like, this is one of those moments where, where I think heaven is always touching earth. This seems like one of those moments where I would use, like, fiercer language, where it seems as though heaven crashed into earth like a comet. <laughs> you know, it was just like... And this thing happened. It's been interesting, though, as I've been reading uh, the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions books, as I've been reading the big book and some of these other books from AA, it seems that this is an experience that um, a number of alcoholics have actually encountered. Because they reach this place in step six that says, I am entirely ready, not halfway ready, not three quarters of the way ready, not, uh, you know, almost completely ready, but we are entirely ready. And so we humbly ask God, would you remove this? And there seem to be stories of this happening. And yet... You also hear plenty of other stories of people that don't seem to have quite the radical encounter like that. So what do we do? Well, I would suggest that we continue to ask, we continue to seek, we continue to knock, just like Jesus said. We continue to put one step in front of the other, and one step in front of the other, and one foot in front of the other, and we just keep moving forward. Jesus says to the man, do you want to be well? What a silly question. Or is it? This is how I kind of think the conversation goes. Do you want to be well, man at the pool? Uh, <laughs> yes, I've been sitting here. 20 years and I can't get into the freaking water. Yes, I want to be well. What kind of prophet are you? Well, you do realize that if I heal you, whether I heal you just by touching you and praying for you or if I drag you over to the pool, you do realize that if you are healed, that you won't be able to sit here in this place where you've sat for the last 20 years anymore. I mean, if you're healed, you're going to be capable of getting a job. If you're healed, you're going to actually have to go out and probably find work. If you're healed, the people who have been pitying you for all of these years and maybe giving you uh, extra uh, money along the way or providing a, a meal for you here or there, or the people in your family who have cared for you for the last 38 years, you've been an invalid, you do realize that, that you're now going to have the tools you need to actually care for them. Those people, they're probably getting a little older. Your, your parents, they might need your help. And if, you know, in this condition, you get to just sit here at the pool and beg. And it might seem like a miserable life, but you do realize that if you're well, your life is going to change completely. 
do you want to be healed? A number of years ago, 20 maybe, we had a, uh, I was leading a small group of, of uh, um, um, people who we were studying uh, the scripture together, we were reading, and, and we would spend some time worshiping together at my house, and, and um, there was this one night where there was this, this young woman who had a, a, a mental disorder. And I was very familiar with this woman, and in this particular setting, I don't know how else to explain it other than we were praying for one another on this particular night, and there was this incredible sense that the Spirit of God was healing people of different, different things. And I sensed very, very strongly, myself and another friend, we sensed very, very strongly that the Spirit of God was present to actually uh, perhaps radically heal this, this young woman. And, and as we moved to pray for her, we said, can we, can we pray for you about this thing that's going on? And she said, absolutely. And as we began to pray, I felt this leading. I don't know how else to explain it. I think it was the Holy Spirit. I felt this leading to ask her, you know, do you really want us to pray about this? Do you, because there, I, I feel very strongly that God might be healing and I asked her, I said, do you want to be healed of this? And she sat for what felt like an eternity. It was probably 30 seconds. And she turns and she looks up at me and she says, no. Because she weighed out the cost. It was a very, it was a very interesting and sad and uncomfortable situation. But she knew I, I don't know how, but she knew that to be healed of this, I won't be able to claim disability, disability anymore. I'll have to get a job. I won't be, I used the word pity, but that's kind of what it was, especially 20 years ago. I won't be pitied the same way I have been. My life will radically change. And she, she didn't want in on that. And we say, well, that's crazy. Maybe we say that's crazy, but is it? Because I would suggest that many of us are content, myself included, in some of our defects. For example, doesn't life feel just a little bit better when we feel a little more superior than our fellow person. Now there's a name for that. <laughs> Arrogance and pride. But if we're real honest, sometimes it feels kind of nice. Or is it not true that sometimes we like to let greed in our lives masquerade itself as ambition or security? Or is it possible that gossip sometimes makes us feel like we're in a little bit better place than the person we're gossiping about? Or maybe we have a little bit more control? I mean, if we really think about it, there are a couple of things about ourselves that they're destroying our lives, but we really do love them. It could be hidden addiction. 
that we're sad about, but we also kind of look forward to it. Because it's that relief, it's that release, it's that place we go when life is really stressful. And so, yeah, I kind of hate it, but are we content in some of our defects? Okay, so I am. I've been, yeah, I, I have the advantage of having studied this all week. <laughs> You're getting it just now tonight. Yeah, I'm okay with some of my defects. I'm content with some of my defects. Some of my defects you know, they just make me feel better about myself. Even this week, I found myself sitting in the judgment seat of someone else. And I was trying to figure out, even now I'm still trying to figure out, like what am what is that? Am I insecure in this particular situation or um, am I kind of ticked off because I don't have control over this situation and so I don't have control over it and maybe I am a little insecure and so I'll just judge the person that, and that's and so I did and I do so maybe I'm not entirely ready I don't know Here's the thing about it, though. Without some degree of humility, no one can ever really find true healing and true freedom. And nobody can grow more without getting rid of something. So, if you want to grow, you got to get rid of something. If you want to move in the ways of Christ-likeness, we got to be willing to get rid of the parts of us that aren't Christ-like. And we all want something good. The problem is none of us really want to get rid of anything. That's what I've learned. So what do we do? Well, I think we, we practice step five and a half. Which in AA, there is no step five and a half, but we can interject our own. Because if step five is, we admit to ourselves we admit to one other person, and we admit to God. Which I have, by the way. Hey, I think I have this thing. I, 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 I think I might be a little insecure because I find myself, it's very easy to judge people in this particular area. So I've admitted that to a friend. I've admitted that. Oh, now I've admitted it to all of you. And I've admitted it to God, and I've admitted it to myself. I know that. And if step six is we're entirely ready to give it over to God, but I'm not there yet. Maybe step five and a half is... We just keep asking, oh God, oh God, oh God, give me the grace I need and keep moving one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, so that I'm at, able to be at a place where I'm entirely ready to say, take this. I'm entirely ready to hand this over to you. Because once you're entirely ready to hand it over to God, then step seven flows quite naturally. God, I've handed this over to you. And now I'm humbly asking, I can't get rid of it. Would you take it? Would you take it? This is where the quality of life comes in. Actually, I, 
it's one, I, I'm not sure who said it, it might have been uh, Bill W. who wrote AA, it might have been someone else, but said that this is, this is what separates the grown-ups from the kids. This is what separates the grown-ups from the kids. Is, I'm entirely ready. I'm not going to put my security in my 401k anymore. I'm entirely ready. Got to give it to you. I'm not going to put my need for control in being so judgmental anymore. I'm entirely ready. I'm not going to put my, my comfort from stress in this addiction here or this addiction here. I'm entirely ready. This is what separates the grown-ups from the kids. And we begin to create room so that we're willing to let go. And again, we don't expect that everything just disappears like that. I've never met anyone that all of life just fell into place. Like I said, my neighbor, the alcohol, the alcoholism left. But he was still a, you know, son of a gun. He had to learn a lot of other things. They didn't all, they didn't all just disappear. So we become content with patient improvement. And you guys know from everything we talk about here at Mid-City Vineyard, I'm a huge fan of patient improvement. All of life is a journey. All of life is a journey. We are in the process of becoming the people we are going to be. And that process is ongoing. But it's a means of grace. So it's kind of a, God, I need, I want, I desire the grace. Do you want to be healed? Well, I think we have to answer it honestly. I think I want to be healed. In this area, absolutely, yes, I do. In this area, oh. but that's okay. Keep moving. Keep putting that left foot in front of the right foot. 